0: Good morning. It's so good to see you today. We're so thankful you're here. We have a number of guests with us, and we're thankful for that. We want you to know that you're always welcome here at Midway. Anytime, we have services on Sunday morning, Bible classes, and then our morning worship, and Sunday afternoon at 5, Wednesday nights at 6.30. So thankful that you've chosen to be here today. Our primary goal today is to worship our God. That's why we assemble on Sundays. We're so thankful that we have that privilege and we're able to do that from time to time, week to week. We try to do that every Lord's Day and when we're able to do that. We're thankful that we have that opportunity here in the United States of America to do that right now without any fear of, of someone coming in and saying, we can't do that. But along with that, we also are commanded in the book of Romans chapter 12 to give honor to whom honor is due. And today, we do want to honor some who are here with us. We have some guests here, and we have some of our regular folks here who have set a wonderful, wonderful example for us. And I want you to raise your hand today, and don't be embarrassed to do that unless you have not been married for 50 years or more. Now some of you I don't want to get James in trouble or anything, but you know, I'm afraid he'll raise his hand because he may want a present too, but he is barely fifty years old himself. And if you raise your hand and say you've been married for fifty years, I don't know what that says about your wife, okay? But anyway, I know some of you guys, you got married and your wife does look a whole lot younger than you, and so you know, we're not going there, we're not talking about that. But I want you to this morning if you have been married for 50 years or more, to raise your hand. Now, before you do that, there may be those in our audience today whose spouse has already passed away. And you were married for 50 years or more to a spouse, and even though that spouse is already gone, we want you to raise your hand as well. And so how many have been married for 50 years or more, Raise your hand. Be proud of that, that you have been able to do that. These, these guys who are up here somewhere behind me, there they are, they're going to be uh, bringing you something, okay? Uh, and we just want it's a little token of appreciation for your example to us. And so hold that up so that you'll be able to get something. It's just a little recognition. It's not much. It's just some hugs and kisses, and you can share that with your, with your, uh, with, with your spouse, okay? They'll, they'll get them out here in just a second, and uh, they'll be, be doing that. But again, as they're passing these around, we want you to know that, that we appreciate you so much. And you are an example and an inspiration to others for uh, marriage, that we can go forward with our marriage, that we can do good, that we can have good marriages. This morning. What if I ask you, maybe you're here and you are married, but you haven't been married for 50 years. Maybe you've been married much less than that. Maybe you're just planning on getting married someday. What if I suggested to you that you could have a marriage that was sweet, one that was able to last, one that was able to go forward and and to, to do that? You know, sometimes people think about all of the bad things about marriage. But I suggest to you this morning that when we think about these who are, who are here with us, those who have been married for 50 years or more, that it is possible for us to have marriages that are indeed sweet, that we can go forward, that we can work things out. Now, I'm going to go ahead and move up here where I can preach a little bit. While they're getting those out, make sure if you've been married 50 years or more that you hold your hand up. We are giving away a little bit of candy this morning, and so I thought that was a good thing since we're talking about sweet marriages, okay? I want you to think about some things with me today. Our, our society has thought about marriage from the standpoint that, that it's somewhat disposable. A few years ago, I was in uh, back up in Tennessee, that's after we moved here, and I had gone back up to preach a gospel meeting, and while I was there, I had taken my printer with me, and my printer ran out of ink while I was there. And so I went down to Walmart, and I was going to buy me a cartridge to go in my printer. And I looked over there at that cartridge, and that cartridge of ink was over $50. Well, on the same aisle, there was a whole line of printers there. And they had printers on the opposite side of the cartridges with the ink that were $39. Okay, and that had the ink in it already. And so I bet you can guess what I did. I didn't buy the $50 ink cartridge. I bought the $39 printer. And, and I carried that home and I used that. Well, you know, society has fallen prey to that kind of thinking. We are in the disposable society. We have what someone has designated. Someone came up with a term. They said, you know, we're suffering from disposable society syndrome. You know, we see everything. We throw it away if it doesn't work. And marriages, you know, to have the kind of marriage that we want, you know, it takes a pretty good investment. It, it takes some time. It takes some effort. But, but when we start to have the difficulties, we're sort of like going to Walmart and finding the $39 printer. We'll just throw that other one away and we'll start all over again. But I suggest to you today that it's possible for us to have a sweet marriage. And we want to look at a few things in the short time that we have together this morning that will help us with that. And I want you to direct your attention. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn to the book of John chapter 2. James read from John chapter 2 earlier today. But we're going to learn some things in regard to marriage from John chapter 2 today. And as we look at it, we won't take time to read all 11 verses again, but as we begin, I want you to begin by thinking about verses 1 and 2, where the Bible says on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And then watch this. The Bible says, and Jesus also was invited to the wedding with His disciples. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with His disciples. And you know what Jesus did when He was invited to that wedding? Well, if you listen to the reading of the Scripture this morning, or if you've read that before and studied it before, you know that not only was Jesus and His disciples invited to the wedding, but Jesus accepted the invitation. Jesus went to the wedding. And by doing that, He teaches us something about marriage itself. You see, Jesus gives His approval to marriage by accepting the invitation and going to that particular wedding ceremony the bible you know implies to us that jesus is approving of marriage itself as we think about marriage go back to the very first one at the very first wedding there were only 3 who were there. Now that's not very much by some people's standards. You know, sometimes folks want to have hundreds of guests, and, and if they don't have that, they, they feel like they fell, but there were only three at that first wedding. It was God, and it was Adam, and it was Eve who were there. And, and when you think back to all that, all that way to that wedding, the Bible says, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. It's traditional for us when we have a wedding for the preacher to ask, "Who gives this woman to marry this man?" And, and you know, it's usually the father, and, and sometimes he's pretty shy, and he'll he'll sort of he'll he'll get these words out, "Her mother and I," and you know, it just barely comes out. Some of them are pretty bold; they're ready to get rid of the daughter. You know, it's going to be cheaper. They think when they when she goes uh, to live with somebody else, "Her mother and I," you know, we're we're ready for her to get married. But I want you to think about this. On that first wedding day, it wasn't some timid father or even some father who was ready to marry off his child. It was God. He brought her to the man. It's almost as if God walked her down the aisle. I'm not suggesting they had this big ceremony or anything like that. But it was God who gave the, wedding, the bride away at that wedding. It was God who said, I do. And I think that's significant. In fact, it was God who imagined and inaugurated matrimony itself. Some in our day have taken it upon themselves to redefine marriage, haven't they? We hear about that a lot on television. and and they redefine it so that it's no longer just between one man and one woman, and we shake our heads. And Ben even prayed about that this morning in our prayer. But I want to ask you a question. What gives them the right to do that? Marriage was neither their invention nor their idea. They did not come up with marriage. It was God who came up with the institution of marriage. And by doing what many have tried to do in our day in redefining marriage, I want you to understand they certainly have not improved it any. It hasn't been improved. And so when we look at it, we still go back to the fact that it was God who created it. And it was Jesus who approved it by His presence at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. No wonder the writer of the book of Hebrews would say in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 at verse number 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. But then he goes on and says, For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. It's wrong to be sexually immoral. It's wrong to be adulterous. We understand that. The Bible speaks, speaks about the fact that they will have their part in the lake which burns with fire. But those who, who have the sexual relation outside of marriage and those who betray their marriage have betrayed God. They have betrayed Him. And God will bring judgment because of the fact that they have distorted, they have done wrong against the marriage. Jesus gives His approval to marriage. We learn that in John chapter number 2. Jesus was invited to the wedding and Jesus went to the wedding. But then I want you to look at something else. Look at verses 1 through 3 again of John chapter 2. Third day, He was invited to the wedding, so forth. But look down in verse number 3 to the words we have in red on the screen. When the wine ran out. When the wine ran out. I want you to think about that in the context of a wedding here when the wine ran out. I know you might find it unusual, but marriages sometimes have problems, don't they? It might, well, really and truly it's not unusual, is it? If you've ever been married, you've also run into an occasion or two where you've had difficulties in your marriage. You, you've had disagreements in your marriage. Marriages sometimes have problems. You know, some have taken it upon themselves to practice marriage on their own terms. And, and generally, you know, when we do that, that's when the problems come in. And you know, it's sort of like the old saying, like this, you know, uh, we comes before I in wedding... And what happens is we try to put the I in front of the we. And we get into to difficulties with that. We, we try to live it in our own terms. Judith Bjorst said, although marriages traditionally begin with I do, they quite often end with you don't. You know, we turn against the one who is there. But I want you to think about something this morning, and I want you to think about it very carefully with me because... It's something that will help us to have a sweet marriage. You know, those who seek to practice marriage on their own terms are really no better than the ones who try to redefine it. We mentioned those who tried to redefine it between you know, not between one man and one woman, but if we're distorting it and we're trying just to live it on our own terms, if we're making up our own way, if we're doing it just like we want to do it rather than the way God designed it to be, we're really no better than those who, you know, we really, we really say, man, we can't redefine it. We get really bent out of shape. And we ought to. But we ought to get just as bent out of shape when we try to do what God has instituted in some other way than what He has instituted. God never intended for marriages to be a hell on earth. God intended for marriages to be sweet. He intended for Eve to be a companion to Adam and for every husband and wife who would come after them to have a loving and happy home. And God made it possible for that to happen. God made it possible for couples to live a long time together. The problem comes in when we try to do it some other way than God teaches us to do it. When we're not what we need to be, when we don't act like we need to be acting, that's when the problems come in. You see, those who try to practice marriage on their own terms, they're disobeying God and they make a mess, and they make themselves and other people miserable. Look at John chapter 2, verse 3 again, though. When the wine ran out, we'll keep reading now. Notice I've got something else highlighted. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Here again, we learn something else about marriage. The mother of Jesus said to him, when there was a problem at the wedding, to whom did they turn? Well, You see, Jesus is the answer to the problems of marriage. He is indeed the answer. John chapter 6, there's an interesting passage there. Jesus has taught what we call the Sermon on the Bread of Life. And when He talked about that, some misunderstood Him. They thought He was talking about cannibalism. And and the Bible specifically says many were offended at what He had to say. And so they began to leave. And all the multitudes that were following Him, they left. And Jesus, in John chapter 6, he, he asked His apostles who were there with Him, would you also go away? And then there's a, a comeback, if you will. Peter's the one who, who comes back and answers Jesus. And His comeback, His answer in John chapter 6 verse 68 is this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words... Of eternal life. Indeed, He has the words of eternal life, but to whom shall we go when we have problems in marriage? You see, Jesus has the words that tell us how to have a long and happy marriage. The problem is, we don't want sometimes to hear what He has to say. And when we do, we want to ignore what He has to say. But Jesus can tell us what to do to have a long and happy marriage. You know, I'm, I'm certain, I know, that there are some marriages that have lasted long without the marriage partners being Christians. There, there probably have even been atheist couples who have had a long and happy marriage together. I, I, I'm pretty sure that that's happened. Maybe they... Even even someone who doesn't believe that there is a God, maybe they've been able to live with a spouse for 50 years and, and have a, a, a good marriage. But how is that possible? You say, preacher, you're saying that Jesus is the only way. Well, I want you to understand that even in marriages between non-believers, Christian principles are practiced. It's the only way that that marriage could last they practice the principles laid out by christ they practice christian principles now what are some of those principles that are practiced even in even by non-believers sometimes that are christian practices let me just share very quickly with us this morning three christian principles to make marriage sweet I want us to understand this morning, and I believe that it's very important, that in order to have a sweet, happy, long-lasting marriage, that marriage partners must be committed. They must be committed. Now, what I want you to understand this morning is something about commitment. There are two kinds of commitment that every marriage has to have. Okay? Now, this is not on your sheet, but you can make it over in the notes if you want to. Whenever we're thinking about commitment, number one, we have to have that initial commitment. Initial commitment. Uh, That's the kind of commitment that we have, you know, that we're going to no longer live as a a single person. We're, We're going to commit to being a couple. We're going to commit to being married. We're going to commit to marriage itself. And you know, there are a lot of people who commit to marriage itself. And I'm convinced this morning that that there are couples who have only this kind of commitment that have been married a long time. You know, it's possible to be married a long time and just be so stubborn that you're not going to give in and say marriage, you know, marriage is for a lifetime and I'm going to stay married. I don't care if my wife stays in one bedroom and I stay in the other or she stays on this side of the house and I stay on the other and we've got that line right down the middle and we don't ever cross that line. I don't care. We're going to stay married. We're not going to get divorced no matter what. We're just too stubborn. We're committed to marriage. Now, I want you to understand you need to be committed to it. It should not be an option for you and your spouse divorce. But that's a part of the initial commitment. There's a second kind of commitment, and I think it's very, very important. There's that ongoing commitment. Now what do you mean by that? Well, let's just take a look at it. When we think about ongoing commitment, look at the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24. It's repeated again in Matthew chapter 19, at verse number 5. The Bible says, "...therefore, Shall a man leave his father and mother, and English Standard Version says, hold fast to his wife. If you're reading from the King James or some of the other translations, it says, shall cleave to his wife. I want you to observe this morning that that passage did not say that a man would leave his father and mother and be so stubborn that he'd never divorce. To be so committed to marriage itself that he would never divorce. Do you see the commitment? The commitment is not to marriage. It's not to a principle. It's to a person. The husband is to hold fast, not just to any wife. The husband is to hold fast to his wife. You're committed not to the principle. You're committed to the person. That make a difference. Not just for husbands. Look at Titus chapter 2 at verse 4. In Titus chapter 2 at verse 4, Paul is writing and talking to older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and, and giving responsibilities. And he says that the older women have a responsibility to train the younger women. Well, what are some of the things that they're trained to do? To train the young women to love their husbands. That phrase is one word in the original language. It's a compound word. It literally means husband lovers. They're to be husband lovers. But it's not just any husband. It's sort of like the one we talked about from Genesis and from Matthew. Matthew. Not just any wife, not just any husband here. Husband loveth, their own husband. The older women don't teach the younger women just to be committed to marriage. They teach the younger women to be committed to the man they married. And men must be committed to the woman they married, their husband, their wife. You know, when we think about that, somebody said that happy marriages begin when we marry the ones we love and they blossom when we love the ones we marry. That might get a little bit deep, but it's true. When we marry the one that we love, that's that initial commitment, but they blossom when we love the ones we marry. That's that ongoing commitment. And so this morning, one of the things that we have to have is commitment if we want to have a long and happy marriage. Somebody else said that commitment's like mortar that binds bricks in a house together. A number of years ago, when I was actually about 10 or 11 years old, the Hillcrest congregation was building their building and... And there was a, a gentleman. It, it wasn't a large building. It was 30 foot by 70 foot. And it was made out of block. But there was one man who, that uh, was doing the work. And, and, and since we were living nearby, right beside the building, I got volunteered to be his helper during the summer. I didn't mind doing it. But my job as a 10-year-old was to mix mortar. And he told me, he said, now You put so many shovels of sand... You put so much water and you put so much cement in it, then you mix it up good. And uh, he was good to me. He even bought me a trial, you know, and he let me lay some of the block. But I remember mixing up that mortar. You had to have the ingredients and you had to have them in the proper, you know, amounts. So like a recipe. Well, commitment's like that too. It's like the the mortar that binds the bricks together, there are certain things that go into commitment as well. And and it's things like friendship, companionship, and trust. And I think that's one of the more important things, and so that's number two on our list today. You see, not only do you have commitment that, that married couples have, marriage partners must learn to trust in order to have a long and happy marriage. Proverbs chapter 31 verses 10 and 11. An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels the heart of her husband trusts her. The heart of her husband trusts her. Husband should never have doubts about his wife, fears about his wife. He needs to be able to trust her in every aspect of life. Trust her personally. Trust her sexually. Trust her economically with money. Trust her socially. Trust her spiritually. He needs to be able to trust. And if her life is based on the solid ground of God and doing what's right, regardless of the circumstances that come along, regardless of temptations, regardless of opportunities to compromise, if her heart is set on doing what's right, he, the husband, can trust her. trustworthy wife would never take advantage of her husband, never neglect him in any way. Her husband trusts. I want you to understand this morning, it's not just a husband who needs to trust in his wife, it's also wives who trust in their husbands. and Men, we've got to live so that we're trustworthy as well. Trust. But I want you to notice something else here. As you look at that passage, the Bible says that the heart is involved. You see, it's not just him trusting her, the heart of her husband trust her. The heart can be broken when marriage partner gives his or her body to another person. The Bible calls that adultery in a physical sense. It can also be broken by one who too freely gives his or her attention to another person and would cause jealousy. It can be broken when we fail to meet the needs of our spouse. It can be broken when we fail to fulfill the responsibilities that God has given us in marriage to do the things that, that He has laid out to do. It can be broken when words and actions in public toward our spouse are unfitting. and It can be broken. Guys, let me tell you something. It's not going to hurt you to hold your wife's hand in public. I know, I know some of you, you know it may just almost make your hand fall off to hold her hand when you're walking in Walmart. It's the walking to Walmart parts the hard thing, okay? And it might hurt some wives if their husband would reach over and grab her hand cause she might have a heart attack. The heart is involved. The heart of her husband trusts her. And she trusts him. Don't ever forget that. That brings us to the third thing this morning. Marriage partners must be willing to forgive. Oh, so important. Everyone makes mistakes in life. Everybody has grumpy days. Everybody says things sometimes that they don't really mean. Everyone needs to forgive and everyone needs to be forgiven. No relationship, listen to me carefully, no relationship, especially marriage, can be sustained over a long period of time without forgiveness. just won't happen. Forgiveness sometimes happens when we're able to see the event, when we're able to to see the, the, the thing that's happened through the eyes of our partner from their point of view. And, and you know, forgiveness works when you see that your partner is still that good person that you married. And, and that when he or she was grumpy or when he or she did fail, they're still that person who's just happened to make a mistake. But if you personalize the problem, if you just let it gnaw away at you, if you just think that they're attacking you, and you come to view your partner in a negative light because of that, rather than viewing their actions in the negative light, then forgiveness will be hard. We can't let that happen. Not in life and especially in marriage. Look at a verse with me. I know what it actually says. I'll I'll read it to you from the way that it's in the Bible. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. That's what Jesus said. That's His words, it's not mine. Why would that not apply in marriage? Is it just for everybody else? Or does it apply at home as well? So we really could do no damage to the text by saying pay attention to your marriage. If your husband, if your wife sins, rebuke him or her. And if he or she repents, forgive him or her. And if he or she sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, don't miss this next part. You must forgive. You must. Jesus said that about brothers, not just physical brothers, but people who live around us. And if it's true with them, it's true at home. Sometimes people fight. Sometimes people fight a lot. And sometimes people fight more than that. And a lot of times the fights are because somebody failed to forgive. You see, forgiveness is not continuing to bring things up. It's not any of that. Jesus said we must forgive. Something else I want you to see as well. Jesus' presence did not automatically solve the problem. Jesus was at the wedding, but they still had a problem. They still ran out of wine, didn't they? He was there, but it happened. I want you to understand today that our marriage problems are not solved Just because we go to church. This doesn't work that way. Just because we show up on Sunday doesn't mean that our marriage problems automatically are solved. You see, there's a difference in going to church and living like a Christian. From time to time I hear people say, you know, you shouldn't say that or you shouldn't do that because you're in the church building. Well, you probably, (laughs) if you shouldn't say it in the church building, you probably shouldn't say it at home either. Probably shouldn't do it at home either. Look at John chapter 2, verse 5. His mother said to his servants, Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. See, it's not showing up at church on a Sunday, it's listening to Jesus in her marriage. It's listening to what He has to say. It's that part of doing whatever He tells you to do. That's what it's all about. What does He say in the book about how to live your life? Be the person you're supposed to be in every aspect of your life, and guess what? You'll probably have a pretty good marriage at home because you've listened to Jesus. No doubt about it. I'm going to ask you a question as we close out this morning. I want you to think about it very carefully. Who got married in John chapter 2? Who got married in John chapter 2? The Bible says there was a wedding, Jesus was invited, Jesus' mother was there, the apostles went. Who got married? Well, if you can tell me, you've got more insight in Scripture than I've got. As far as I know, the Bible doesn't tell us who got married. In John chapter 2. And really and truly, it doesn't matter. What we do learn is that Jesus performed a miracle there. It was the first miracle that He had performed in His public ministry. We do know that. You see, Jesus became the center of attention at the wedding by performing the miracle of turning the water into wine. And Jesus needs to be the center of attention in your marriage as well. If you put him there where he needs to be in your life, and you put him where he needs to be in your marriage, 50 years from today, all of us still alive, we can come together. And if I'm still here, I'll try to remember to get you all some hugs and kisses. Okay? And Billy said he and Ben would give them out. If the Lord lets us live and we live like He says, if we put Jesus at the center of attention in our marriage, we can have a sweet, sweet marriage. I want you to understand this morning there are couples here. They're present with us today who've done just that. And they're living proof today that marriages can last and marriages can be sweet. We're thankful for them. We're thankful for all that they do. Thankful for the example that they give us. It may be this morning that you're here and Jesus is not the center of attention in your life. I encourage you to make Him the center of attention in your life before you make Him the center of attention in your marriage because if you get your life right, you'll be the kind of person that you need to be in your marriage. If you're not a Christian today, I'd love to sit down and study more with you about how to be one. What the Bible says about how we do that. Maybe you're here and you know that you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. and You do believe that according to what the Bible says in passages like Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 6. Maybe you're here and and you know that you need to repent of the sin that you have in your life and that if we don't repent, we'll perish. Luke chapter 13, verse 3. Maybe you're here and you realize that you need to make the great confession as Jesus speaks about in the book of Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. And you're here and you realize that you need to be buried with Jesus and raised with Jesus in baptism. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, as well as many other passages. Maybe you're here you realize you need to do that. We want to assist you. Maybe you're here and your life is... As a Christian, you've become a Christian in the past, but you haven't been letting Jesus be the center. You need to come back to Him. We can pray with you and we can pray for you. If you need that, want that today, come right now. It's together we stand as we say.